0: I love the work of cartoonists. Cartoons have a way of revealing the honest truth about life in a humorous way that makes it a little easier for the medicine to go down. I once found myself very amused by reading our Hagar the Horrible comic strip. Now, Hagar is the fearless Viking who dreams of glory, but he's grounded by the everyday realities of domestic life and family relationships. In other words, he's a lot like us. Now, in this particular cartoon, Hagar is sharing his wisdom with his protege, Lucky Eddie, by recommending his two rules for happiness. And here they are, two rules. Number one, be content with what you've got. Now, if that sounds biblical, it is. Be content with what you've got. But his second rule is be sure you've got plenty. Now, I wonder if the reason we smile at Hagar's philosophy of life It's because it pokes fun at the way so many of us see life, including you and me from time to time. On the one hand, our virtuous self applauds rule number one, be content with what you've got. But on the other hand, being content sure seems a lot easier when you've got a lot, right? Rule number two seems to have a lot to offer and it's the mantra of our consumer culture. But is Hagar right? Is that all there is to happiness, having plenty? Is that the way life really works best? Today, we're concluding our summer series called Life Hacks, Practical Solutions for Everyday Problems. And let's be honest, money is, one way or another, is an all-too-common everyday problem. Especially in our world where gasoline is $2 a liter, if you even admit to buying gas, rents are soaring and interest rates are spiking. Why are we talking about money today? because it is the next thing on Paul the Apostle's list of issues to address in his first century letter to the people of God in the city of Corinth. Having addressed what followers of Jesus have to look forward to and the new heaven and the new earth, he now turns his attention to the practical matters of this earthly reality. And so he begins chapter 16 of his letter like this. Now about the collection for God's people. Paul is talking about money. Now, money itself is benign. It's neither good or bad in itself. It's simply a token of exchange, a convenient way to store up hours worked in order to trade for the goods in kind that we need to live on every day. Now, there's nothing wrong with having money, earning money, or even saving money, according to the teaching of the scriptures. But money has a way of impacting our lives in significant ways. Money can do funny things to people. We need money. We want money. We long for money. Why? Well, for some, the desire for money is about basic survival. It's a means to keep food on the table and clothes on your back. Staying above the poverty line can become an all-consuming center of existence. Now, for others... Money is about maintaining an acceptable standard of living. To escape feelings of deprivation, you do everything you can to keep up with the family next door. Even it takes you further into your visa than you really cared to go. Now, for others, money is about having enough to do what you want whenever you want to do it. Some of us never really feel free financially until we get to this point. And then there are those for whom money is power. It's the ability to control their lives and even the lives of other people. The influence of money is that it impacts our lives at the emotional level because it promises survival, security, freedom, and control if you can ever get enough of it. Multimillionaire J.D. Rockefeller was once asked, How much money does a person need to have to feel they have enough? And his response is, just a little more than he has right now. So having and using money has its upside and its downside. And today I want us to consider the problem of money first, or the lack of it, what it can cause, the problems it can cause, and then we'll look at the possibilities of having wealth and what it presents for those who are committed to following Jesus. So let's begin with the problem of having money. If your focus is solely on using what you have to make your life better, it can lead to greed. That's the problem. Now, greed has two elements. Getting what we do not have and keeping what we do. Now, things in themselves are not the problem. Avarice, another name for greed, enters in when our desire for things becomes inordinate and then idolatrous, when reliance on God's gifts displaces relying on God himself. Greed is craving for more of what you already have. It's, it's craving for what somebody else has because they have more of it than you do. Greed is a longing for material things, which we hope will deliver the security, freedom, and control we feel we need to be happy. Greed has its source in the human tendency to look to material things for a sense of security and self-worth and satisfaction. The trouble with having it all, or even uh, being overly attached to what little you have now, is that you can become so preoccupied with material things that you neglect what is really important. And what is really important is not material things, but spiritual things. Our problem is that we too often look for things to provide what can only be found in loving and trusting relationships with God and with others. And so even when you have everything you need or everything you ever wanted, Jesus says that's not life. Life is not about what you have. Even when you are rich, it's not about what you own. Life is about who you are before God, about whether or not you are rich toward God, according to Jesus in Luke chapter 12. Greed has a way of warping the human heart and turning it inward upon itself. It has a way of promoting an independent, self-reliant spirit. And greed can filter out our attention to the needs of others. It can blind us to what's really going on in our hearts. People can get so preoccupied with getting it all that they miss it all. And the more we get, the more we got caught up with what we have, and imperceptibly concerns for things absorbs our best energy and time so that there's little left for what really counts our relationships with God and others. This is what uh, writer Leonard Sweet says. He says, there is no cause and effect relationship between being well-off and well-being. Over the last 30 years, our material standard of living has skyrocketed with no measurable increase in the standards of happiness or peace. Just the opposite, in fact. The verdict is not in. The studies are unanimous. The more you strive for success, fame, money, and power, you lose. Living well is not the same thing as being well off. And that is why Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, his rule for happiness. It goes like this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. According to Paul, the downside to money is that wealth can become a hindrance, not a help, to discipleship. We cannot serve God in money. The things we own have a way of owning us. Money and the love of money distorts our values and hinders the life of following Jesus. And so Jesus said we need to root out anything and everything in our lives that inhibits us to follow him wholeheartedly. It is only when we want to hang on to what money can buy and love those things more than God that money becomes a problem. The last thing any of us want to be known for is being stingy or greedy. I mean, even the words invoke feelings of disgust. But the truth is, in our cultural moment, greed is continually knocking on the door of our hearts, demanding entrance. We are continually serenaded by the siren song that just a little more will finally make us happy and content. But greed never delivers on its promises. Jesus warned, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. Now, aren't you glad you came to church today? If your focus is solely on using what you have to make your life better, it can lead to greed. Isn't that what you came to church to hear? Okay, everyone, let's stop. Let's take a deep breath because we're not quite done. And it gets better, right? I promised I would also talk about the upside of money. So here we go. Here are the possibilities of having money. If you use what you have to make someone else's life better, it will lead to generosity. Greed's counterpoint is generosity. And generosity is that quality of being kind and unselfish, especially as it pertains to sharing money and other material possessions with others. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about generosity as a desirable character trait. Proverbs 22 and 9 says, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they shared their food with the poor. Now Paul, a student of scripture, draws from the wisdom of Proverbs and encouraging the Corinthians to be generous. God himself is the model of generosity. He values and rewards generosity when he sees it in us. Our giving is a response to his giving. Generosity is an act of worship. Now one of Broadway's core values is generosity. It is a defining characteristic of who we are and what we aspire to be. We recognize that we are ultimately managers, not owners of all the good things in this life. And this means that we are dedicated to freely giving of our time, talents, and treasures, those things that God has entrusted to us in order to bless the lives of others. And in practice, we believe that generosity is giving beyond what is expected. A few years ago when I was pastoring in the city of Ottawa, I ran into a financial crisis. My bank took out my rent twice one particular month. And that meant that I had no money on the bank. All of the checks that I'd written to pay my bills were bouncing. And I had no groceries to feed my family. Now, in those days, the bank didn't solve problems overnight. And it took more than a week for them to actually put the money back in my account. And so I was in the middle of a dilemma. And all of a sudden, there was a knock at my door. And a woman from our congregation was standing there looking kinda sheepish. And she said to me, Pastor Mick, I know this is gonna sound crazy, but I kind of felt the Lord was directing me to buy groceries for your family. Does that make any sense? My first response was to say, no, no, we're fine. But the problem was we weren't fine. And that was just a blessing from God. And here's the point. When you give generously, you never know what God might do in the life of someone else as a result of your generosity. Generous people tend to be happy people. They are open-handed with anyone in need. I've always found it fascinating to observe in Acts chapter 2 that one of the first tangible, practical expressions of God's people newly filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was that they sold their stuff and gave to everyone who was in need among them. The writer of the letter of Hebrews reminds us why generous people have little to lose and something to give. He writes, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you nor will I forsake you. Even in the most challenging of economic times, we have a God who promises his presence and his provision. Now your heart will follow wherever your values lead you. Your heart will attach itself to whatever is most important to you. And when it comes to money, we love to get it and we're reluctant to give it away. And to become generous in attitude, we need to become generous in practice. So how do you turn good intentions into effective actions? You need a plan, and that's what Paul recommends to the Corinthians. So how do you turn good intentions into effective actions? That's where we're going next. You need a plan, and that is what Paul recommends to the Corinthians. Seven keys for turning good intentions into effective actions. Now, I know what you might be thinking right now. I've often thought it myself. I want to be generous, but I can't see how I can afford it. I mean, after the bills are paid, if the bills are paid, there isn't a whole lot left. Here are seven recommendations Paul recommends to the church in Corinth to put their generosity to work. He writes, now, above the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable for me to go, they will accompany me. The first key is given response to a real need about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Now, let me give you some background for this. In Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 29, the writer tells us about a famine that affected the Christians living in Judea, the area that included the mother church in Jerusalem. God warned the early believers that such a famine was going to happen. And in response to this pressing need, the disciples decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. The church in Galatia and Macedonia had provided help already. And now Paul was appealing to the Corinthians to follow suit and share in this act of giving. And so he says, first of all, give to a real need. And there was a real need. Secondly, he says, give systematically, not just in response to the emotional appeals. He says in verse 2, on the first day of every week, The first fruit principle is something that I've tried to follow in my life. It's something that I borrowed from the Old Testament. And that is when it comes to giving to God, give God the first fruit of your time, the first fruit of your talent, the first fruit of your treasure. Give that to God first and then you have whatever you want to do with the rest. So set yourself up to be generous so that you can respond when a need arises. Budget for generosity. The third key is give as a personal expression to God. Each one of you, Paul says. Giving is a personal act of trust in God. I can give to you, but I cannot give for you. Only you can determine what you will give. Paul's fourth key is give as a consistent discipline. He says everyone should set aside a sum of money. Now listen, our habits shape our lives and our attitudes. And when you get into the habit of generosity, it becomes second nature. But a habit requires an intention and a plan. Paul's fifth key, give us a portion to what you've been given. That's what he writes, a sum of money in keeping with his income. Now, you may have heard of a pastor inviting in a service people to share their tithes and offerings. Tithing is giving 10% of one's income to God. It was a habit that was practiced by God's people even before the law was established, it was mandated for all the nation of Israel has the minimal amount one could give to God. But Paul here is not talking about tithing. He's talking about a free will offering to meet an exceptional need. Now, not everyone has the same bandwidth to give, so Paul directs them to give proportionately to what they have received. It teaches that to give in response to God's grace in your life is a blessing, to give whatever amounts you can, gives you great joy. His sixth key is give as an uncoerced private act between you and God. So that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Listen, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. He honors a proactive giver. And he honors those who give without fanfare and drawing attention to what it is that they've given. And finally, number seven, give to those who have shown themselves worthy of your trust. He says, then when I will arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. When it comes to giving, integrity is essential. We need to do our homework and give wisely. Now, you might be thinking, I want to be generous, but where do I start? Well, here is an opportunity that is happening this month. CityReach is trying to provide 1,000 back-to-school backpacks for students all across East Vancouver. And you can get involved by going to the CityReach website and just signing up to provide one of these backpacks. Now, it's not the only thing worth giving to, but it might be a place for you to begin. So money is a necessity of life in our cultural moment. God knows what we need and he provides for those who seek to do his will and bless those he cares about. The problem of money is that if your focus is solely on using what you have to make your life better, it can lead to greed. The possibility of having money is that if you also use what you have to make someone else's life better, it will inevitably lead to generosity. There was a farmer who was having a conversation with God. And in this conversation, God said, listen, if you had two barns, would you give one to me? And the farmer said, absolutely, if I had two barns, Lord, I'd be glad to give one to you. He said, well, what about if you had two tractors? If you had two tractors, would you give one to me? And the farmer said, absolutely, if I had two tractors, I would give one to you, Lord. And then God said, well, what about if you had two cows? If you had two cows, would you give one to me? And the farmer said, that's not fair, Lord, you know I have two cows. And that leads me to our life hack for today. Generosity does not begin with what you don't have, it begins with what you do have. And Paul makes this point in his second letter to the Corinthians. And he writes, I want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. In my internship year at Bible College, I was serving at a small church in Winnipeg. I was working at a construction firm and giving all of my extra time to helping the church grow. One day, the pastor took me into his office and he said, listen, Mick, I realized you're not giving. And I thought, okay, and your point is, he said, I know you're not financially giving to this church. You're giving your time, but you're not giving of your material um, wealth. And I thought, um, well, don't I have a Bible college student exemption? I mean, I'm just trying to earn enough money to go back to school. And then he said to me again, Mick, you're going into the ministry and you need to model giving. And then all of the pennies dropped for me. And I realized that God doesn't expect me to give out of what I don't have, but he does expect me to give of what I do have. And in that moment, I made a decision that I was going to uh, make giving to God's work my first commitment before I paid my bills, not my last commitment after I had paid them. You see, setting aside something to share is as important as anything else you spend money on. Generosity does not begin with what you don't have, it begins with what you do have. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul puts it like this. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Everyone must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And listen to this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, whether you have a little wealth or an abundance of wealth, you have the opportunity to be generous. And when you are generous, you reflect the very character of God himself, who is the supreme giver. God's generosity is evidenced all around us. He created this planet that is specifically suited to sustain us and he has provided for our needs and even our pleasures. And above all, God demonstrated his generosity when he offered his son as a sacrifice to atone for our sin. The gift of Jesus to a sinful mankind was the ultimate act of generosity. So what about you? How would you describe your attitude towards being generous? What do your actions say about who you trust and who you help? Are you waiting for something to happen in order to be generous, like one more pay raise, uh, or getting the mortgage paid off, or getting the kids through school, or getting a new computer? Remember, generosity doesn't begin with what you don't have. It begins with what you do have. I want to pray for you today. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life that is God's generosity towards you. And maybe for you, generosity towards others begins with receiving God's generosity towards you. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God offers that gift to you this morning. And I want to lead you in a prayer that will help you receive that gift of grace and turn over a whole brand new chapter in your life. So will you pray with me? My God and Father, I just thank you for reminding me of your tremendous generosity in sending Jesus to die for my sin. I'm not perfect, I've made mistakes, I have dropped the ball, I've let people down, and I realize that I just can't fix myself by myself. And so Lord, I really need the gift of forgiveness and pardon that only Jesus can provide. Jesus come into my life today Come and be the Lord of my life. Create in me a generous heart. Give me a desire to bless the needs of others. Help me to have confidence in the fact that you will supply my every need. Lord, come into my life, I pray. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time, I have this suggestion to you. There is a number on the screen that if you text that number, There is a pastor who will get in touch with you this week and help you take the next step in your spiritual walk. God bless you and have a great week.